With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is the Anfield Rap Weekend of the Anfield Rap Weekend. are coming up, I'm speaking to Tim O'Turney uh, about T-Street Band's new album. I'm also speaking to Rory Smith about a piece he's written about Manchester United, but more about the way a cycle can engulf a football club. We'll also, in the studio in front of me, I have Paul Senior. We'll be speaking to him about matters pertaining to football and also Motel's fifth birthday. I've got Amelia and Melissa ready made up to have everybody contributing to the show this week, but I need to open it with an appeal. Uh, Michael Woodburn, or Young Mike, as a lot of people who go to the match will have known him, passed away this week in tragic circumstances in Norway. Uh, his mum, Jackie, and the rest of the family are devastated. Uh, there is a GoFundMe appeal in order to help her financially in this situation uh, with reference to her being able to go to Norway, get himself home, and then for the funeral and all of that sort of matters. Everyone who's close to Mike misses him a great deal. I was in Hotel Tier last night, and a lot of his friends were there, and it was fair to say that people were was so upset uh, and just just devastated by what's happened. Um, he will not be forgotten and he will be missed. If you'd like to contribute uh, for this, you can find his GoFundMe page. It's gofundme.com forward slash Michael hyphen Woodburn hyphen RIP. So you can find that one on there. It's already, it's got a £15,000 goal. It's already on £11,000 and the Anfield Wrap will be uh, contributing uh, to that through its live show uh, that we're doing before the Cardiff game in Liverpool. So at 12, 12 p.m. Uh, at the Keynes Brewery Village on Parliament Street in Liverpool, uh, 12 p.m. start before uh, Liverpool play Cardiff. It's £7 a ticket and every uh, ticket bought, every penny of every ticket bought will be going uh, towards that fund as well. Uh, but any donation that anyone who's listening to this can be make, made would be greatly appreciated. Uh, all right, then last night was uh, Liverpool versus Chelsea uh, in the, 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 the Carabao Cup. And Liverpool got beat 2-1. Mel Reddy, Liverpool are allowed to lose games. Uh, they lost this one to a, frankly, to a moment of fantastic magic from, from Eden Hazard. Yeah, I think consistently one of the best players to come to the ground and, and put on a show, even when he doesn't score and you watch him and he's in full flow you tend to appreciate what a good player he is. And, I, you know, I think the only question mark against him has been, can he do those kind of things regularly enough? I don't think he has too often, but when he does, wow. And, you know, loads of people were saying, oh, awful defending, but you know what, that's not football. If you're looking at, at that goal and you're talking about the defending, uh, you're doing it wrong. I think there's definitely an element of that, Adam, in that, you know, if one of ours scored that goal and we've got players capable of scoring that goal, the one thing we wouldn't be doing is saying, oh, look, he should have made that tackle there or he should have done that. I think that we've got to, at times, acknowledge that the purpose of brilliant attacking is to make defenders look daft. Definitely. Um, it was, you know, possibly the best goal scored by an opposition player at Anfield since the last time he did that. Um <laughs> And and he doesn't. I, I, I've watched a bit of Chelsea this season, and he and obviously he's having a good season. But 
he doesn't do it every week. Um, he does he does pick his moments against against Liverpool um, quite regularly, and you know it's, it has got to get us a bit concerned about um, <coughs> about what we've what what we've got to face on 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 Saturday, which is a game that I've been sort of confident about for a while. Uh, and you know it's a, it's a pain, isn't it, playing the the two the, the the game in the cup and then in the in, in the league as well. It happens quite a lot. But yeah, I, I mean the goal the goal itself as 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 you've said as, as you've both said it was. A moment of pure quality, and and he was quality from the the, the minute he, he he comes on. Um, you know that's obviously it's that sort of substitution we've seen Liverpool do it in the past in sort of smaller competitions, bringing Gerrard on, and you know they, 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 the world class player does the world class thing, and uh, you do you do I think have to have to hold your hands up. I mean, I mean, having said that, if we had had our first choice defence and goalkeeper. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know whether he still scores it, but you know, I'm not. I'm not sort of say. I'm not. I'm not p- pulling the, the any particular defender or whatever to shreds after it. Yeah, <clears throat> I, um, I sort of, I sort of feel a little bit like Adam. Adam does at the end there. I would have liked to have seen how he'd have got on against Andy Robertson and Allison in that situation. But we are where we are. But I think if I think we were talking about this last night. Good, good players are do that, and he is. About as good as there is in the Premier League. I I'm not quite sure if he's the best. I think Kevin De Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League, but um, he's he's been outstanding for a long time in the Premier League. So you've got to expect that from a player of his quality. Um, it's disappointing, but things like that happen. Mohamed Salah's done it for us and put other sides to the sword. And you've just got to expect that sometimes world-class players are going to do world-class things, and when they do. You can hold your hands up and, and sort of take it on the chin, and that's that's sort of how I feel. I'm a bit more disappointed. The nature of the first goal, I think it's poor de- poor defending from Liverpool. Really, I think I, th- I thought coming off the ground, Mignolet makes a really good save for the first bit, and it is it is a good save. But I think pushing it back out where it where it comes, and, and it, I think he could palm it away a bit further. It was a blast from the past that goal. It was. It just felt exactly. Well, I sat right. there all last night, was felt, and I felt a little bit like I was watching Liverpool from two years ago, and I didn't like it. To be honest with you, and that that's that's sort of how I felt all through the game. I was looking at that back five, going, "Doesn't this this just? It's like it was like it was nostalgic a little bit right, last night, and I really, I really appreciated what we've got now, and I really come to love these lads that we've got now even more. You know, the first eleven, just and just appreciate just how ruthless Jurgen Klopp's been and turning over that back five and. Yeah, uh, you can you can see uh, for me it was a, a, an image of how much we've improved, and that's what sort of what I took away from it. On the point of of the winner, <clears throat> you know, Neil, you said if Liverpool score a goal, we're not sitting there talking about the defending. And Klopp made the point that Roberto Firmino <coughs> comes on and and scores a similar sort of goal against uh, PSG, and absolutely, you know, n- no one in terms of of a Liverpool nature or even a PSG nature criticised how that goal came about because it, it was sheer uh, brilliance. But yeah, in terms of, of looking at, at the squad and thinking this is a throwback, it, you know, the, the back line was very much that. But I think what I took away, especially from watching that first half, is how much Liverpool have developed in the period since they all started last started together as as a a back four at, with the goalkeeper with Mignolet and also how much the stat development is one thing but the standards and the expectations 
have risen so considerably on the pit of what you're expected to do on the pitch, let alone fan expectations. And I think you really saw that from the fullbacks who just could not operate to the same extent as Andy Robertson and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold are doing for Liverpool at the moment. But also, if we're being fair, we have to know that it's you know players who haven't really played together. I mean, Fabino hasn't played with Milner or Cater or, you know, th- there's all these, they've not played with the fullbacks before. Um, Klein hardly played last season. Moreno's never kicked a ball yet this season until yesterday. Uh, Lovren as well, just coming back from injury. A lot of them, I don't think are 100% well, sharp. That I thought Adam the unfamiliarity for Liverpool was 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 a struggle early, and I think that it's I think Chelsea are interested in this in that I think there's the other thing that we do, which is we ask lots of footballers to play really quite unconventionally. So I think that it's a lot easier to be Fabregas for Chelsea than it is to be Fabinho for Liverpool as an example of, of changes that are made. I think Fabregas, yeah, it's a demanding role. He gets an awful lot of the ball and he's got to, he's got to keep it moving. But he, the circle that's around him isn't very big and it's right in front of his centre-back right the way through the game. Whereas Liverpool demands so much out of central midfielders. It's become clear and clear exactly how much. And I thought for the first half an hour especially, you could see that Fabinho and, and the players around him were almost like, you're just never where you're meant to be here, mate. You're just never where we need you. Mm. Yeah... <sighs> There is that. I think that Chelsea managed to get better performances out of their second string than than Liverpool did, and there's probably something systemic there. But I mean, who, who, you can't really can can you measure what's e- what's the easier system to play? Um, I'm not sure whether that's a bit of a cop out to to say to say no, that. No, I don't it's think hard. it is. I mean, it's it, it there's there's literally less play, players in our midfield trying to do to do more. I guess so. I think that I think they have more safety nets. I think they're a side that are set up with a couple more yeah. safety. They've not got loads. It's not like it's not like you know Hodgson's Palace, but yeah. they've got a, they've got a few safety nets in there. Whereas our lads don't have that luxury. Yeah, um, I, I I do think that there was that that, that it's hopefully that it is just that there's new players and there's rusty players, but it it looked like that Chelsea were much much happier playing in in that system and it wasn't players that have featured much you know Kovacic and Barkley both play well Fabregas obviously you know he's a good, he's a good player he's gonna, you know he's gonna he's gonna slot in and, and understand what to do he's been there years anyway um, and and I think you, you sort of you can't really say that about our about our midfield specifically um, and I think that as I say hopefully it is that that you know it's just Fabinho's first proper game and you know it's uh, you know um, I think there's different reasons why. Well, I think Kaita plays well. I think uh, it's annoying that Milner gets booked early by the ref, who I thought was bad as ever, um, because Milner sets the tone physically for us. He could us. be the worst ref in the country. He with could hair. be. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say the worst hairy team. ref. I was. He's the worst one with hair. And very like uh, fascist hair at that too. Um, <laughs> he is a little like fat Grange Hill teacher or something, isn't he? Anyway. Um, so yeah, hopefully it is that, that those those players are just growing into the system rather than it being that they you know that, that they'll continue to, to to struggle. But yeah, I mean, and, and as and as Mel said about the the fullback specifically, there's a combination there of rustiness. You know, sort of specifically Klein because we were talking about this in the ground. There's there's rustiness and there's also a feeling that we've moved past him as a player. Just on the the way the game goes, the first thirty, you know, is, is Adam's grim prognosis there. The second thirty, though, Paul and you and I, we watched the highlights together last night. We 
create it or we end up with we don't even necessarily create them all we end up with a ton of chances I mean mm. between 30 and 60 Liverpool Liverpool really if they'd have scored three goals you wouldn't have gone that's unreasonable they have really really Sturridge good opportunities misses an open goal doesn't he misses an open goal on 25 seconds into the second half but even before then Mane excellent head a really good ball from Shakiri after he checks inside yeah. it, it's Liverpool are very creative in that period once they get a foothold yeah absolutely it was sort of no surprise how Sari reacts to that by bringing on his two biggest of guns in Kante and uh, and Eden Hazard. But uh, no, back back to your sort of point there. I, it, it was a game where we were busy, and there was uh, unfortunately it's becoming a bit of a recurring theme that a, a side that we know is so clinical just hasn't been clinical enough in these opening eight games. Um, that being said, our record hasn't been too too bad. But yeah, for for me, like I I was pleased with sort of the amount of chances we were creating. I thought Nabi Kaisa was excellent. Uh, I re- really sort of cured a few a few creeping doubts that I'd had about Naby Keita and just just as t- just seeing his touch and his ability on the ball last night was was really reassuring. And I, I sat in the uh, the centenary, the Kenny Dugley stand last night, and I got to see quite a lot of him. And yeah, I was really impressed. I thought Shakiri, especially for the first sixty minutes, <clears throat> was really influential. Started opening them up some really quality deliveries. I thought. I thought towards the end of the game, as as Liverpool were chasing it a little bit, his quality dropped off, and I thought he he became a little bit desperate with with some of the stuff he was doing. But that being said, overall, I thought he played well. Sturridge, it was 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 an interesting one for me. It frustrated me a little bit last night, Daniel Sturridge, and not just because he misses an open goal, but just just bits of his play that I thought he wasn't wasn't quite as thoughtful. Uh, it might be the word as he was against Paris Saint Germain. It seemed. It very much seemed like a statement performance that Daniel Sturridge like this, against Paris Saint-Germain was willing to change and adjust and be more more like the new Liverpool. And I felt more like it was the the more self, self-aware self Daniel Sturridge last night, I thought. Just little little bits of him was was frustrating me. But I'll always say, like you can say that a side will look all right as long as they're creating chances, and Liverpool continue to do that, and I can take, I can sort of take half from that. With one eye on Saturday night, Mel, the one thing you can say is Liverpool in that half an hour with what is predominantly other. I thought Sadio Mane was excellent, was excellent yeah. in the yeah. game. Uh, Liverpool with what's predominantly going to be their second choice attack really wrecked Chelsea's shape. So Chelsea's shape looked great for the first half an hour. It was dominating space. It was dominating possession. It was doing lots and lots of clever things really, really well. And it was as though it was though a flag fell somewhere, and the complete opposite happened. That to me, Liverpool made them look so ragged for thirty minutes. They they, they didn't know where they were on the pitch. Yeah, and that was I think a massive, massive takeaway because you know, like we spoke about these players with rustiness, players that are unfamiliar to each other, and players who have yesterday realised just how high the expectations are now and how far they have to climb if they want to regularly be involved. In saying all of that, if you walked out of that game yesterday and Liverpool were winners, you would have thought it was very much deserved mm. because Liverpool created enough in that spell we've mentioned. And I, I thought as soon as Liverpool realised what Chelsea were about, that they wanted to operate in the half spaces, that Fabregas was basically dictating everything, uh, that they were trying to get William involved uh, as much as possible quite early. As soon as 
Liverpool dealt with all that. Mane went on on Fabregas and did a really good job there. Um, they denied William space a lot better because he his influence just completely yeah. dipped. Then there was only one team in it for for that period, a very decisive period where Liverpool should have put the game to bed. You know, Sturridge is missed, then he scores that fantastic goal. Then we have opportunities after after that. We hit the bar as well. Sturridge hit the bar. Um, Sturridge also played a really good ball. And now I'm struggling to remember who he played it to, but a chance came from that as well. Um, Shakiri. Yeah, it may have been Shakiri. Yeah. Um, and I thought he... Sturridge actually hits the bar just before you, you move on. He hits the bar just before they get the free kick that they score from. Yeah. It's like the same. It's, it's one minute where the game flips. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I thought Shakiri caused them a lot of problems. Again, because the variety... He's such a varied player. You don't actually know what's about to come next for him. And Chelsea struggled to sort of know how to handle a Liverpool that aren't really Liverpool, if if you get what I'm saying, because the fullbacks aren't really giving you much to, to think yeah. about. The midfield were a little bit dysfunctional or, or not as functional. It felt as, like our as, pace wasn't there. Yeah. It, it, the, the, there was a lot of space in behind Chelsea and it felt like even though it wasn't particularly, you know, the, the, maybe it is the fullbacks, but, you know, the, the, we've got Mane there and, you know, <clears throat> Shaqiri's nippy. Sturridge obviously isn't, hasn't got any pace anymore, but... It did. If it, it felt like all over the pitch, we weren't we weren't as quick. We were we didn't have that pace. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, yeah. Chelsea still struggled. And I think, if if I'm off a Liverpool persuasion in terms of an analyst or coaching staff or or even a player, you know, the ones that weren't involved sitting at home thinking about what's to come next, I'm looking at that game and being quite encouraged by it. I, I don't know whether we're being sli- slightly generous to, to Liverpool versus versus what Chelsea did as well. Chelsea also made eight changes. You know, yeah. th- this was this wasn't a Chelsea side that had, had played a lot of minutes either, and that's that was what it was, is a Chelsea side familiar with each other, though a Chelsea yeah. side that won the title. But we could, we, yeah, we could also, but we could argue about the back five being one that's played together. I, I don't know how many times, but if that would have been our first choice back four, I would imagine. I, I beginning that, the last that, that actually that 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 back five hasn't played together before, but I, I might be wrong. It's, the reason it, why is because we know that what, what we, there's a bit of crossover here. So last season, start and centre off partnership was Lovren and Matip. Mm. Yeah. But the season that I but, think when Moreno but, was playing, it was Gomez at right. Uh, uh, well, uh, when it was it was it was it was, it was, it was right Gomez back. or Trent. A right yeah. back because the season before it was Clyde at right back and Milner at yeah. left back. Yeah. So, but, but it, I mean, the point you know stands. The, the, as build they've all played each other a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. I'm just being before. a bit pedantic. I just heard it and I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I thought so as well. To apologise to me. <laughs> no, I don't think I apologised. <laughs> I'm taking that as an apology. Uh, no, I'm only joking. The um, yeah, I, I I I think we've got to consider the fact that Chelsea did make a lot of changes as well. And I, I think in simple terms, the game is really just summed up by. By that that bit of magic from Hazard, I mean, I, you, I think you can talk all day about him. The only thing that frustrates me with Hazard is that I, I just I don't want I don't wish he did it every season, but it's almost like he has a year off every time. I convince myself he's good. He decide the year after he's had enough of the manager, or um, yeah, that he's just having the year off, and that. I think I think this this year could could well be his last at Chelsea, and I, I feel like last night it was almost like he was just, he was going to put on another show at Anfield. He's been to been to Anfield many a time, 
and put on a show. But last night he came off the bench and really, really, really impressed. On on us and the changes, Mel, we make those eight changes. My worry is for a few of these now, it is now really sort of flying the plane and building it at the same time in terms of getting performances out of them. You know, we, yeah. we know he needs to rotate. There's an excellent Phil Blundell article on the Anfield Wrap talking about the number of starts Manchester United players have gotten seasons gone by when they've gone deep in a number of competitions and it's it's striking that there's certain players who just don't even don't even break forty. So we know that they're all gonna need to get some time on mm. the pitch. And even going to Solanke who doesn't even get on in the end because Jurgen Klopp wants to win the game. You know, Solanke doesn't even see it, doesn't see any time. And my my worry for a few of these lads is we're gonna need them. We're gonna need Lalana, and Lalana's, you know, he's not, he's, he's not nowhere near that game even. We're gonna need them, but it now becomes he's yeah. coming back from his injury. It now becomes it's tough to it's tough to see a pathway to blood in a couple of them now, or getting them back away from their rustiness. Yeah, it is a tough balancing act because you have to, you know, find the the middle ground between rotation and rhythm, and the second bit is exceptionally hard for players who. Who are not featuring and you know like with a nathaniel klein isn't really featuring but has so much to do beyond getting the sharpness the match you know the feel within a match he has to do so much to get to to trent's level in terms of what he offers to the attack because trent is becomes an auxiliary midfielder an auxiliary addition to to the front line when he plays that's just what he does and you know the same with Robertson on on the other side and how you try and get them involved without the league cup you know you, you wait till the FA Cup or or you can't try in lesser games but I, th- I think that you know moving forward in the league games the rotation won't be as heavy we saw Jürgen Klopp do it last season where it was three changes two changes He's been better four, at that than he yeah. has with the, the wholesale League Cup changes, I think. Yeah, exactly. Four tra- where you can still maintain the core of the rhythm in the side, but give a few people a run out and ensure freshness in, in whoever you've given a rest to. And that's basically key. And you can do it with with a few. Of, I, I think defence, for me, I, I, I would alter least with, with Liverpool's rear guard and, yeah. and keeper because I think it's a really, really solid foundation. And then when you look at the midfield, I think because you already have to pick one off uh, Milner or Cater or Wijnaldum. We've already Fina. sort of started that the yeah, rotation yeah. process with midfield. Exactly. You, I think they're all, they all know and they all accept. They may not like it that they won't play every game. But they accept that it's it's necessary for them not to play. So I think it is easier. And with Shakiri now, we've seen that he is capable. He, he obviously doesn't do what our current front three do or what our, any of our midfielders do. But that's what I like. I like the fact that he can do different things because the opposition, it's hard to prepare if if you're thinking you're going to face Sadio Mane and suddenly you're facing Shakiri, I think I think it's probably the the most difficult thing to swallow is going to be for the likes of Shakiri and Sturridge. And you mentioned Dom Solanke there. There's there's probably a realistic chance now. You don't you don't see Dom Solanke in the Liverpool team until the third round of the FA Cup. You know, an eight an eighteen where, but that's what's that's the best part of four months off. 
you know, and yeah. that that you, uh, there was noises coming out of England in, in the week that they're really disappointed about what's happening with Liverpool and Tom Solanke. Well, it's a position he's in because of, because of the array of riches we've got. I, I think it's disappointing that he never found himself alone or something like that. But if you're if you're him now, you must be scratching around going, what am I meant to do? There's certain players who are a, a, a risk to play, and I think he is a risk. What's What game can we risk putting Dom Solanke in? Um, it's Hard a bit, for him. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we did it last season. We played Stoke away, didn't we? Uh, and, yep. uh, um, I, but, you know, I, and my point is, I guess, is that the, there's a lot of players who I don't think that you could you could really say that about. But I'd say that you probably can now about, about Klein. I'm not sure where I'm risking Klein. Again, I've, I've, sorry, I was going to say he he fell into that bracket for me last night yeah. where where you go hmm, the drop off is so substantial yeah. that I would I could I could put up a feasible argument why I'd, I'd rather see Rafa Camacho ahead of him just stylistically yeah. or like you know I was I was thinking God we could play Fabinho there maybe if Trent got injured yeah just we're we're talking though in in the context that we're currently in at the moment where we've only got like one or two injury concerns. Yeah. But I mean, you know, as the season kicks on, you you get into November, and that's when the yeah. start, the build up, usually starts off. You know, uh, issues, and you just need two attackers or mm. or one attacker to be out of the equation for Selenki to then become involved in the mix somehow, not necessarily starting, but in the equation. Indeed, uh, long, long way to go throughout the entirety of the season. Uh, thank you very much to these three. Back with them in a minute or two. But Rory Smith and Tim O'Tierney to come. Uh, Rory talking about the pieces written about Manchester United. Beer 52 is back, and this time it's Balkans. Neil Atkinson here. I've got a complicated relationship with Beer 52. It's beer52.com, by the way, if you want to go and look at it. It's the Craft Beer Club. You get a free case of craft beer if you pay £2.95 postage. You get a magazine with it as well called Ferment, which will look into the Balkans theme. My complicated relationship with craft beer as a whole, not just with Beer 52, is that so much of it is so very delicious, and then it transpires it's ultimately very strong indeed. So do be very responsible with your approach towards this. We'd like you to... Obviously, Sample it, they've partnered with us before. Uh, they send us things, and we very much do appreciate them. So if you like this free case of craft beer, it's beer5252.com in order to claim that free case and to go from there. Uh, it is, it's hugely popular, uh, worldwide popular, in terms of being a discovery club for interesting small batch craft beers from across the world. Uh, it, this one is, uh, it, it features amazing beers from up-and-coming brewers in Croatia, Serbia, I'm reading this out, Slovenia and Bulgaria. Such as, my word, a 7.2 citrus IPA from the Garden Brewery. Oh, my days. That just feels overwhelming, to be honest with you. I'd pass that one along to someone else. Uh, but there's a very, very solid-looking pilsner in there. Uh, haven't gone through all of that. Um, you can try your first case for free, and it is £2.95. Uh, you get that. You get the eight beers and the magazine. And there's a snack in there as well, which is entertaining. And my word, if you go the 7.2 citrus IPA, make sure the person who's having that gets the snack. Uh, it is no minimum commitment. So you can just take the free case to try the beers and see what you think if it's not for you you can pause and cancel at any time there is a five star rating for the Montrose Pilot we do look into this sort of things their members do love the service so beer52.com that's beer5252.com uh, it is uh, something that's there for everybody I think that's really important uh, to understand that I think you know sometimes this stuff gets gets pigeonholed as being something which it isn't very much should be inclusive for everybody like everything really we can find so much common ground between all of us can't we all the way around the world you can also tailor the box to your preference as well if you would like to do that, so it's beer52.com. Um, it's everything that you need to know. 
joined by Rory Smith, who's written a fantastic piece uh, in the New York Times about Manchester United, which I wanted to talk about, but not to talk about Manchester United as such, although obviously they will feature throughout this conversation, but to talk about the strange thing that happens to football clubs when the perception both inside and outside the football club is you're only ever one wrong step away from a gaping chasm. And that's where United have sort of found themselves. But I've seen that happen to Liverpool sides. I think you've seen it happen to... It sort of happens to Wenger's Arsenal, Rory. That you, you, somehow something happens to a football club and they're never more than one bad result away from it being a disaster. And there's nothing they can really do to stop that for a, for a prolonged period, if at all. Yeah, you can never kind of get away from it. And I think that, that is absolutely the crucial thing at United. And Wenger's Arsenal, the last... Three years of Wenger at Arsenal, it was, it was literally if they drew a game. The, the banners came out, the fans started hiring planes, the booze started, everyone got really upset. And it, it was literally if they, so much, you know, even if they, if they only won like 2 0, there was a possibility that they were gonna, there was gonna be a problem. And they, that was kind of the most extreme case of it. But it's definitely happened at Liverpool. It's happened at Chelsea a few times where, where you know that if they drop any points at all, that there's gonna be an issue. And I think it manifests in, in certain ways, and what, the one that we've seen with United most recently is where really like really minor things, things that don't matter at all, the sort of things that happen all the time at football clubs happen and are major issues. And obviously, Pogba and the Instagram post, the, the parable of the Pogba Instagram post, um, that's the that's the most recent one. It's, it, that that sort of stuff happens at, at, in football quite a lot. You know, maybe not that exact thing, but you know, incidents of that scale and that kind of those misunderstandings. And most of the time, it doesn't matter. But it, it's a club where, I don't know, like melodrama set in, where everyone's watching, what, looking over their shoulders, where everyone's on a knife edge, where the fans are sort of unhappy and the players are sort of unhappy and the manager's sort of unhappy and there's fragile, fractious relationships at every level. Little things like that suddenly take on this, this overwhelming significance. And I think the, the thing that gets, gets missed, and I'm not sure I addressed it quite as well as I should have done uh, in the piece that I wrote, but I think the thing, thing that gets missed with United is Mourinho wants to turn it into a, understandably wants to turn it into a, an invention of the media. And there's a lot of fans that would be at any club who want to believe him that it is an invention of the media and that actually everything's fine. If only it wasn't for the, for the nefarious journalist, then, then all would be sweetness and light. But that, that's kind of missing the point. The point is that they are in the cycle. And as soon as you're in the cycle... The, the existence of the cycle itself becomes noteworthy. And I, I think that's really important to remember that the, you know, the media aren't costing Man United games. The media aren't making Paul Pogba's relationship with Mourinho be, be sort of strained. They're not, they're not making the atmosphere at, at Carrington, the Aon training complex, or, or at Old Trafford be slightly sort of fractious. That's not, the media's not a- actively doing that. There's no kind of third column working inside the Man United playing staff and in the crowd to, to make there be a story. There is a story there and that means this cycle exists and once you are in the cycle it's really hard to get out of it and to be honest short of I don't know like a record breaking winning streak short of a trophy uh, early on they're trying to, trying to the League Cup obviously which is that's the purpose of the League Cup is it, it gets that monkey off your back it's really hard to see how United will ever escape it under Mourinho because he can win three or four games, and I made the point in the piece, he can win three or four games in a row and, and everything will look like it's, it's perfect and he's come out of it. Then if they lose the next one, then you're right back where you started because you are in the cycle. I, I think the cycles, I want to talk about, there's a really 
there's a really important paragraph in your piece, which I want to say for, for Liverpool supporters listening and, and any United supporters listening. You've written this. Mourinho has tried everything to inspire his team to do that on a more, more reliable basis. He's tried pretty much everything in his arsenal. In fact, he's protected his players in public to shield. The man criticised them too to ignite a spark. He's changed his team and his system. He's reminded the world of his record. A kind interpretation would see that as an act of reassurance to an uncertain squad. Less generous one getting your Butlin first. That, forgetting the end of that. The point about this is, is the, when, you, when, when you begin to talk of the cycle... The stress of the cycle means that managers also get themselves into a situation where they do think, I'll do a bit of everything. I'll try this one week and this the next. And I do sort of wonder if what 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 at times you could maybe perhaps do with is, is maybe a little bit of consistency, is the idea of being able to say, I am here, I am eternal, I am going nowhere. And but that that in and of itself becomes really tough when you know that the next thing that happens will be someone saying, well, should you be eternal? Should this be, will you always be this version of you? Because if you are, well, we can point at this sporting event that might have just simply happened because they do, and that undermines you further. Well, yeah, so I think this is it's really easy to kind of scoff at managers who talk about philosophies and, and visions and kind of styles of play and and the way they work and, and methodologies and processes. And, and Mourinho scoffs at it quite a lot, particularly in regards to managers he's decided he doesn't like. So Klopp and Pochettino, um, or not he likes Pochettino, but he doesn't like the praise that Spurs get. Um, and whereas previously it was Wenger and Conte and what have you. You know, he, he's decided, he's, he's, he's one for mocking people who talk about football in, in, in like highfalutin terms, which a lot of the time, to be honest, I've got a lot of sympathy with. So I think we, we all do take it a little bit too seriously. But there is, there is a huge advantage to being a philosopher manager. And that's that when you have these, these hiccups, these problems, you can take your players and say, this is the way. This is what we are going to do. doesn't matter which, what obstacles come. doesn't matter if we, if we have a setback. This is, this is the way we're going to do this, and this will get us out of it. I have complete faith. And I think the problem for Mourinho is he's, not, he's never been like that, and that's always been his great strength, his flexibility. But at a time like this, and the same thing happened at Chelsea in 2015-16, at a time like this, you sort of think, well, what, what is he telling the players to believe in? Because he's, he's tried a little bit of everything from all, almost as though he's read lots of management books. And in reality, I guess he'll have, he'll have gone back through his own experience and thought, what worked when I've been in similar situations in the past? And, you know, he's tried to be the hard man by publicly historiating Pogba. He's tried to be the reassuring one and he's trying to draw the fire, and he's trying to be the slightly sort of manic one who demands respect, and he's, he's lashed out, and he's been sullen, and he's been quiet, and he's been loud. He's done everything, and none of it works. And I think that's partly because he doesn't really know what the problem is. I don't think he fully gets why Manchester United aren't better than they are. I, don't, I think that's something that is still a little bit beyond him. But also, I, don't, I think because he doesn't have any kind of overriding vision of perfection in his head of what of what his Manchester United should look like, what he wants them to be. It's really hard for him to point his players and say, this is where we're going, this is our destination. And I think without that, it becomes really easy to just kind of try lots of different things and find that none of them work. So you try something that's different, but also kind of contradictory. And after a while, I think players probably get, their heads start to spin a little bit. And they're like, well, I don't really get what you're doing anymore. Like, what, what is the purpose of this latest action? Why are you dressing down Paul Pogba in front of all of us. What, what is the purpose of this? It's a little bit, not quite as serious. You remember when Phil Brown did that thing on the pitch at City? Yeah. And he sat, sat the, players, the whole players down. It's a little bit like that. Like that was clearly a, a, 
a last throw of the dice from a desperate man. And because it's Phil Brown, we all laugh and ha ha ha, isn't he funny? And then Jimmy Bullard does a brilliant banter celebration the next time they score. And everyone laughs at Jimmy Bullard, the real character. But Mourinho, Mourinho's embarrassing, probably his best player in terms of his, his talent and kind of the, what we Americans would call the franchise player. It's not, it's not dissimilar. It's, it's a kind of really last throw of the dice desperate move to try and get a reaction. And I just, I just wonder if, if I don't think a lot, I don't think the United States kind of hate Mourinho. Certainly a lot of them, there's no sense of like mutiny as there was at Chelsea. But I think, I wonder if a lot of them are kind of looking at him and thinking, don't really know if you, you know what you're doing. Like, what, what is the purpose of, of all of your actions at this point? Wh- wh- where are you taking this? Why are you doing this? And that's really dangerous. On the cycle, the cycle points in general, to me, the cycle feels, and maybe we've got to, I've got to be careful here because, we live and breathe football a lot more now, but I think that's one aspect of the cycle, the idea that football now has that sort of 24-hour thing, one way or another, that it imposes on its participants and its its audience. The second thing is, I think, with again, with the cycle, the number of points you need to be genuinely competitive within the league is, is a problem because it, that does, it allows there to be, you can win four, like you're saying. Manchester United could, let's say, they, you know, Manchester United could win the next four, but one or two of them may be in the Champions League and then there'd only be two league wins and then they get a league defeat and suddenly that league defeat because of the stress and strain of it is so significant and then the other thing is the player power I think all these three things these three things have sort of contributed to this idea of 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 the cycle being a thing of this thing that you can just get mired in this quicksand that you just can't get out of yeah I think I think journalists generally are, are guilty of refusing to kind of refusing to acknowledge that the media does play that is the media is an active active participant in in events, and I, I don't want to kind of create the impression that I'm saying, I, I don't believe that the... Manchester United don't seem to be in crisis because the, because the media wants them to be in crisis. Manchester United seem to be in crisis because they keep not winning football matches, and you, you're totally right. City won the lead last year by dropping 14 points. United have already dropped eight. That suggests that they are playing with a really fine margin for the remaining 32 games of the season. Even if City only get 95 points, and, or Liverpool get 90, you still you still don't have a lot to play with if you drop eight points in your first six games. So that, that bar is much higher. No question with social media, we're all a lot quicker to respond with the kind of 24-hour culture that started with Sky Sports News and has been kind of exacerbated by the internet and by the way that the media has changed. There is, everything is poured over, everything is examined, everything is analysed, everything is scrutinised. That, that's all fine. But the media does, football is a media construction. The whole, the whole of it is played out through both the legacy media and new forms of media that's that's where football exists if it isn't for those forms of media football does, football is played but it's not you, this 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 conversation isn't happening because yeah, it's, quite, it's only yeah. if, if only 50,000 people can see it then or can consume it then it's not that popular do you know what i mean there's not yeah. it, it, it it has to have access to millions it, football is a media construct and to try and separate the media from the event is i think is really dishonest and you can't you can't claim that you don't have a part to play or an active role in it. And that's, that's, why, that's where the cycle kind of becomes important because it is a media cycle, but it's a media cycle that reflects facts and kind of occurs because certain things are happening. Uh, it's not invented by the media, but it's played out in it. And I have completely lost my train of thought, but I, I'm sure whatever you said was completely right. No, I, th- I think that the, once you're in this cycle, it's really hard to escape just partly because of the, the, the bar is so high now, but partly because of the way that everything is reflected and 
and kind of the prism through which everything is is passed. And I think that's partly the media, but I think it's also partly fans. I think fans are much, much less tolerant of yeah. of any form of any form of failure now as well because of that twenty four seven kind of aspect to it. And I hope that by making that final point, I've somehow rescued this soliloquy. Ah, yeah, absolutely did. Don't worry at all. Uh, it's been excellent speaking to Rory. I uh, do also notice within there, he, he wishes he'd written his piece a little bit differently, and it's not been very many hours since it's come out. Uh, that happens to people who do this sort of thing all the time, and I'm really pleased he was dead honest about it. The number of shows I've, got, I've, I've walked away from afterwards and thought, I really wish I'd really phrased that differently or that differently, and then you're left, well, you've got to, you've got to cop for it. Uh, like anything else, that's performative. Thank you very much to him. Uh, let's get back over to everything else. Neil Atkinson, Tim O'Tierney, talking about frequency. Yes. How is it? It's good, it's good to have an album done, finished, you know, it's been a, a long time. T-Street um, Band's frequency, just in case people listen, I might not know you're the, lead, you're the lead singer of T-Street Band. Not lead guitarist. Not lead guitarist, yeah. I, had to, I had to correct myself Definitely then, there's someone else that takes those shoes. Yeah, it's like we're a, we're a four-piece, so Lee kind of plays all the MIDI stuff, does all like the um, sequencing stuff, keyboards, and then plays guitar fantastically. Um, I play guitar and sing. Um, Nick's doing loads of singing on on this this record, and he plays bass, and Dominic plays drums. And it's your second album, in case people don't know. A lot of people probably do know that it's your second album. You know, you've been coming on and talking to us for ages, yeah. and it's always good when you do. Let's, but let's be absolutely crystal clear about this. You want to see this one do well. You think it deserves to do well. I've heard it, so yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a belter. Um, I think it's a really really good a really good album. But it's as much about what that means, isn't it? About the you know the idea of of what it leads to if 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 people can get behind it. Yeah, for us it's like you know we've took the time to do it because we believed that we were going to do something which was pretty good. So obviously everyone says that about the record. I'm just more like you know saying to Oscar on the way. I was going you know if we, we go to Manchester and we do a gig, what holds 150 people and there's 30 people there? I'll be really disappointed in like what live gig goers and and new music buyers are kind of where they're at. Um, so kind of like it's, it's like it's that you know if this does nothing and it's really 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 crap and we don't sell any records we potentially won't even do another record we just probably just meet up and play covers or do whatever because you know we just wanted to do well and we want people just to get into it really. Do you want to with it as well? It's the idea I think of for people the, the music industry is always changing. It's always changed. Yeah. So there's not there's not been a lot of people try to talk like there was some sort of golden age and things have always been different and it's, yeah. there's always a new tomorrow. But it's worth pointing out, isn't it, that where this album's concerned, one of the things that it can do, what you can do now, is you can have a top 20 album. That if, if people yeah. can get behind it in advance, so week one, you can have a top 20 album, and suddenly that conversation changes, playlisting changes, yeah. and you've got people's attention. Everything changes. You know, we're working with Modern Sky. Um, we were like, you know, really helping us. We've got a PR team behind it. We've got people who are plugging the records for us. We've got decent online, you know, funds to be able to do stuff to push into people's psyches. That's what you need to do for people to buy records. Um, and I think we've got a good chance, you know what I mean? If people buy it and we can get them pre-orders up, there's no reason why we can't get a top 20 record, top 40. I'll be happy with top 40, but... But it is... What that then does is, as I said, it means that, for instance, festivals next summer, you'll be on people's oh, yeah, lists, totally. you'll be on radar, yeah. playlists, all that sort of stuff. It's like, you know, once, once you get... Get a top 40, I can imagine, because I've never had it, but, you know, you start getting more radio, you're getting the festivals, which we need. We need to be playing at festivals. But I think we're a festival band, you know. It's like, whenever we played them, like we played Kendall Corn the other week, and it was brilliant. Loads of people came down, having a good time. It's good. What's your ideal festival slot? What time do you want? I want the Park Stage, Glastonbury, 
half six. Half six. Yeah. And it's not been. Has it been a hot day? It's been all right. It's getting better. It's getting better. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. A bit. There's been smatterings of rain, but it's the crowds are beginning to crack. And then people are getting ready for Andy, and then we turn up, and it's just like brilliance. Yeah, and then there's there's being able to get something, get something going with. With, with with an audience because the thing I, I've seen you live so many times now yeah. we'll talk about the live the, the, the live shows coming up in a minute but I think when I've seen I've seen you play festivals and one of the things that I always I love from them is an audience that finds you yeah. and discovers what you're doing and gets into it there and then totally. and that must, and that, that's what I know what you're like because you're yeah. a gnarly character you want the idea of what you've just come and seen us for the first time you're come and have a bit of this yeah. um, I remember playing Redman and Leeds the, the dance tent we played that like I think it was 12 o'clock we were opening the tent no one there apart from a few little fiends just still all up, all looking terrible. <laughs> By the time we were 10 minutes in, the tent was rammed. We had like 2,000 people in. You know, never heard the bands. Didn't, and they were all dancing there on a good time. So that shows it works. So how we do that now, we get to these festivals is by people buying the records. Buying the records. It's called Frequency. It is out on the 9th of November, uh, but you can pre-order it. I'll go into how, where, when and why on that in a second or two. Live shows coming up um, in November. People can buy tickets now. I know the, the one in Liverpool in District on the 16th is now uh, very limited supply, but there's District in Liverpool on the 15th of November as well. Uh, and then Manchester Sunday, the 25th of November, and then you're playing in London on the 1st of December. Yes. It's interesting that you're, you're, you're playing weekends, basically. I know Friday, you've got, Saturdays. You've got jobs, but it's as much about the people who are coming, isn't it? You want people to be able to have the Friday, the Saturday to really enjoy the weekends. Yeah, I'm, you know, no disrespect to anywhere, but I don't think... I'm 36, you know, it's like I go to work Monday to Friday. I can't get up on a, on a Thursday morning after being somewhere that far away, playing to 25 people on a Tuesday night. There's no point. So we've picked out the weekend because we can work around them. We can go to work. We, Lee can have his family. You know, we can do things that we want to do as a band because it's all about making it work. Don't, you know, we're not... We're obviously putting our time and loving it, you know, everything, but we can't be, you know, hindering our... Stuff. Lives. Yeah. Lives and that. Not stuff. <laughs> lives. Lives and that. Um, other thing as well is those live shows, they are massive for you. They are all meant, to, and again, it's the, you want people to turn up to enjoy themselves. So that's, right. that's, that's the point. Yeah, 100%. It's like whenever we play live, it's all about making sure people enjoy themselves. You know, again, it's cliche, but we want people to come down and think, you know what, I really enjoy myself there. It's like, that's what we want from people all over. So it is. If you go onto onto the T Street Bands Twitter now, it's T Street Band. Uh, that's on Twitter. You can find elsewhere, and you can use Google. But you Google the album frequency. It's on Modern Sky Records, and you can sit there right now. You can order CD, vinyl, uh, or you can just order the pre-order, the download uh, right now as well. Any way that you want to get it. But it is worth pointing out that if this is an album that you would want to buy. It is better for the T Street Band if you do it now, uh, if you do it week one, if you do it so that it's sitting there ready and waiting. That is the point. That is what we're trying to put over here is that this makes a difference for bands and it can make a difference for bands who don't necessarily play to the biggest crowds, but who can fight, they can harness the crowd's energy in one fell swoop. It can lead to further and further success right, quite quickly. Yeah. So you can do it right now. You can get it all lined up. It is frequency. It is available right the way across all those platforms and you can find it very easily indeed. Google it or go to the T Street Band's Twitter. Uh, it is at T Street Band. It's been a pleasure to have Timo knocking right. around. Knocking Thank around the place. Much. No problem at all. Let's, uh, let's all get behind it. 
It is the Reds Bet segment of your weekend show, Neil Atkinson here. Reds Bet are partnering with the Anfield Raptor of the entirety of 2018. We're very proud to have them on board with us. Uh, they give half of their profits back to Liverpool fan-related causes at Reds Bet and at Fans Bet, the nationwide arm. It's to fan-related causes, supporter causes right the way across the country. For instance, Shrewsbury Town. You have to nominate, though, which fan-related cause or organisation you'd like part of that to go back to. Uh, please make sure you do that. To talk then this week through the odds, uh, the first one that sort of strikes me is that Salah, Firmino and Mane to each score 15 or more Premier League goals is even money, even money at the moment. I think you may be gambling there on injuries as much as anything else and or rotation. Uh, that is uh, currently that is at even money. Uh, the next one that sort of strikes me is uh, to go the whole Premier League 18-19 season unbeaten at home. Liverpool have not lost a league game uh, going right the way back until Crystal Palace. Uh, right the way, I think that is in, in May 20. 2017 as quite something Liverpool were unbeaten last season it's 5-1 to one that they'll go completely unbeaten this season and another one that I like as well which is a bit of a long term one is to beat Manchester City home and away in the Premier League and win the title uh, that is 9-1 to one. I mean what I would say is that if we do beat Manchester City home and away it will put us in an excellent position to win the title you'd have thought that that would have really helped the Reds out across the course of the season uh, for this weekend though uh, there is uh, Aldo's picks he's got Spurs and Manchester City to win Win, and Liverpool and Chelsea to draw. Uh, that is 19 to 4. There's Aldo for you there doing the business. Backing against the Reds. It's like having Rob Gutman here, uh, the man himself, backing there solidly against the Reds. Uh, another one uh, for this weekend is Virgil van Dijk to score a header. I think he's sort of due one. That is 19 to 1. That's got my attention as well. And for those of you who like the golf, Thomas Bjorn to lift the Ryder Cup and Liverpool to beat Chelsea in the Premier League is 5 to 1. 5 to 1 on Thomas Bjorn. Uh, Europe to win the Ryder Cup and Liverpool to beat Chelsea in the Premier League that's 5-1 to one. listen uh, thank you very much indeed for listening to the Anfield Rap all the way through thanks to Redbet Red for supporting us do be gambleaware uk. Uh, all the information that you need is around on responsible gambling please do exercise that and this segment is not about convincing people to take it up it's about those if you already are doing that sort of thing feel free to do it with Redbet this is the Anfield Rap I am with Mel Reddy Adam Melia and Paul Senior and it's Paul Senior on the occasion of his fifth birthday or more <laughs> accurately Motel Bar's fifth birthday in Liverpool City Centre Paul we've all lived loved disrobed and been sacked there um, five, yeah, five years right. on uh, how is it to build a bar in this city? Uh, yeah difficult it probably is, is the honest the, the most honest answer to that because there's bloody millions of them uh, and it's, it's spreading town is getting big so you can't have everyone. So you've got to re- sort of realise what you've got and look after them, I suppose. Um, it's, I mean, it's ebbed and flowed all the time since you've had it. I've known you for years working around it and the Anfield Rap used to have a studio there. So mm. we know we know the journey that it's been on to some extent. But for listeners, it is worth pointing out that, you know, there's... It, it, because just because it's got to its fifth birthday doesn't mean, as you say, it's always been flying trade and all bars in the city, pretty much bar the obvious big ones, ebbs and flows all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... It, it it was in its infancy quite tough um, for us. It's not it's not a, what I would call a prestige location. I've always said it's sort a of weird location. it's a very it's a weird really location. location yeah. <laughs> you know, for an industry that is location, 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 um, reliable, relied upon. Where we've we've always sort of said that you've got to walk over broken glass a little bit to get to us, especially for our our customers who are sort of. I'd say closely linked with Mojo, Salt Dog Slim, Sound. You know, they've got to sort of bash through Concert Square to get to us. But we also we also take a little bit from that, the fact that when they do do that, you know, they've come to us for a reason. So 
Yeah, five. It, it's five. It's probably in it, well, it is in, in its best health ever. We're, we're doing really well at the moment. The guys that we've got there are outstanding. Um, Green selection, uh, strong bow, dark fruit, strong bow, dark fruit. Adam, <laughs> um, at what point? At what point does a bar become an institution? Um, I think um, that it's when they so when when bars open i think they quite often try and be all things to all people and it's uh, it's it's when they find their i don't know there's it, it's 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 one of those unmeasurable things where you just sort of take the temperature of it i guess and i think that there's been probably at least a couple of probably a, a year going on 18 months maybe now where i think that motels just sort of like you know it's, it it feels it feels normal where it is even though it's in a strange place it's not like um, you're kind of, you know, getting people that have been knocked back from every bar in Concert Square and then coming in motel. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a cool little thing. And I think people, I, I think uh, that, that that's, that's when a bar, a bar hits its stride. And I think it's not the, 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 problem, the problem that sometimes happens with Liverpool bars is that they get dead popular and then they're ruined because... It's, it, you know, it's, I've seen it happen to, well, the first bar I remember happening to is Heebie-Jeebies, I think. It's brilliant. It's sort of a brilliant place. And then everyone starts going there. And then, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the, uh, what, what, what the route is, but yeah. I think Liverpool's they, always struggled with bars becoming too popular. Yeah. Um, it's so uh, odd, actually, because not last weekend, the weekend before, we went out and then it got towards the end of the night and you thought, oh, let's go to all the, you know, regular haunts that you used to go to. So, uh, Maya, Brooklyn Mixer, um, Barbadega, like all those sort of places. And it was dead. And I was like, Weird, isn't it? where is everyone? Where do people go now? And that is the <laughs> point that popular places are popular for a short period. Yeah. And then you know, things move on. So like you say, when a bar finds its identity and knows who it is, knows who its clientele is and, and isn't ca- it doesn't care really about being the in place, I think I that's think, how it survives. I, yeah. I think for us, we, we've just focused on trying to become a bit of a hangout and not necessarily every, everything for all people, but just things where people use us for different things. So obviously we've had some great, great nights recently with, the football and you know thank you to a lot of the, the Anfield Rap listeners and subscribers and contributors for sort of <laughs> helping helping that <laughs> Doing along. Doing a lot of heavy lifting those contributors have done, done some heavy lifting in that bar yeah and it's it's appreciated you know and it's been it's been great to see I mean I suppose my my highlight from from motel was was must have been last season on that sort of Champions League run I remember I think it was the um, the Roma game at home just being stood. Behind the bar, sort of watching what was going on and going, this this is what I'm in it for, you know. I'm not, I'm not a big drinker myself. I'm not particularly, you know. Some people who get into bars are really hugely into the spirits and service side of it, you know. I'm just, I'm just in it because I've just sort of fell into it over time, I suppose. And just when when I was in there on that them nights, I was going, well, this is. This is exactly what I. It, it, it felt like the biggest time it had been a sort of reflection of my personality, you know, and that's 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 what I wanted was that everyone was in there having a good time, but also it was sort of the people I could I could associate with. What are you doing on Sunday night? Sunday night, yeah, well, probably losing loads of money. <laughs> we've gone absolutely out of our way. Uh, we've got a, we've got a big band on who, who reached out through the Anfield rap again. So it was uh, Rush Rush. They're called. They're, um, they play Albert Schloss in Manchester a lot. They look really really good. I'm looking forward to having them. So yeah, thanks for reaching out. 
on that one, that's going to be good. We've got Luke's DJing, who's who's been sort of with us as long as I've been involved in, in Motel. So he's, I think Luke's been probably involved in Motel longer than I have. Um, so yeah, Luke's Luke's DJing. The, the guys have got have put a load of goodie bags and stuff together, and the the beer and spirit brands have been very generous. So they're they're definitely worth getting your hands on. And yeah, just a, a major, very late piss up. What time to start? Shirtless giver. What time does it start? Hopefully. He's on holiday, unfortunately. Oh, what time does it start? It's a shame. What time does it start? Cardboard cutouts. Uh, we, 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 I think we're opening at half seven, eight o'clock, but I think it'll really kick off from uh, half, half nine till yeah, until my license says I'm off. I've got a Sunday's, um, Sunday's the, best, the best day for drinking in Liverpool, in my opinion. There we are. Uh, can't argue the facts. I trust Adam's opinion there. Uh, we, get down. In fact, me and, me and Mel were talking to Craig outside before about a night where uh, I think we played Man United and then the whole evening he, he thought it was Saturday, including when he woke up the next morning and it was Monday. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a bit of, it's a bit of an interesting weekend from a sort of bar industry point of view, actually, because Mojo's 10 on, oh. on Friday night and they're doing their sort of pay-what-you-feel thing and giving all the money to charity, which I think's commendable. It's amazing that they're doing that. Saturday night, another event that's big with sort of bar people. Uh, but, um, botanical gin garden closes for the winter. Yeah. Uh, yes. So they have a big, that's one I know you're, you're close to, Mel. Uh, so they're having a big fireworks display and then motel Sunday. So everyone's going, I don't know how I'm getting through this weekend. That's the, that's the chat in the industry. <laughs> Liverpool, <laughs> Liverpool will all stand together. We'll look after one another. Uh, there you go. That's everything that you need. Full, full industry uh, rundown there from Paul Senior. Let's have a chat in a minute or two. Chelsea, Liverpool. Neil Atkinson, Paul Senior. Adam Mealy have just heard us talking about bars. Mel is a woman who's danced on a lot of tables in Liverpool City Centre. Are we going to be dancing Saturday night? Hey, that is false advertising. <laughs> it's absolutely not false advertising. Go on. <laughs> Am I going to be out? No, no, no. Are we going to be out? I don't know what you're going to be doing. You're probably going to have to be grown up and cover it like a proper person, but are we going to get to go out after it? I think so, yeah. Um, I don't think the League Cup game is a true reflection of either side because of the changes we discussed. Um, and in particular, I don't think Chelsea have the same unfamiliarity issue as, as Liverpool do, um, as we touched on. And I think Liverpool are very suited to the way Chelsea play under Sarri because it isn't the defensively disciplined Chelsea who can be quite obstructive and hurt you. I think it's a it's a more expansive Chelsea with a Kante in a more advanced midfield position. Which is a bit weird. Yeah. It was a bit weird last night that I thought. Yeah, it's 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 sort of been weird for them in general through through the season because I mean when you think of Kante, you think about his in, his incredible, practically superhuman ability to intercept the ball, to read, to anticipate, and he's, he's really really good at tackling. Um, it's a waste of him. It's a waste of a player. Yeah. I don't think he'll stay there if it, I, if it carries I, on like that. I'm all for multifunctionality and never pigeonholing a player. But I think when somebody is really that good, that absolutely superb in what they do, it's not the wisest decision to then try and make them something else. And it's odd because there's always there've always been these very off wrong false comparisons between Kante and Nabikata. And I think when you see Kante yeah. Being used as a number eight, you can tell how they are very dissimilar. Um, 
but I think definitely Roberto Firmino on Jorginho is is one to watch because Chelsea this season have funneled everything through him. And when you put him under pressure, and West Ham showed, because he has that much of the ball, if you press well and if you close off passing lanes and he keeps getting the ball over and over again, you force him into mistakes, the issue West Ham had was... There were so many countering, uh, counter-attacking opportunities that they never maximized. And obviously, they didn't have Anutovic, so they were a bit blunt. But when I watched that game, the Chelsea-West Ham game, I thought to myself, you, you could see where Chelsea's weaknesses were, that you can force them to get a bit desperate, to get impatient. Um, but I think the fact that they that they are enjoying the attacking freedom and, and the expression Sarri's allowed them to have on the ball in possession, I, th- I think Liverpool will find that interesting because obviously Liverpool want to play teams that want to have the ball. I think over the, sort of the last 18 months, I think if I've watched any other side more than Liverpool, it's one that Maurizio Sarri's been the manager of. You know, I sort of fell in love with Napoli last season and sort of got to understand what he's about a little bit and that... The Kante thing's really interesting because obviously he's paired him with Jorginho and that, that seems like a dream for a manager who sort of doesn't believe in pressing areas of the pitch, he just believes in pressing the ball. So Kante would, in my mind, of what I what I understand of Ingo, like Kante would be sort of the player that he would build the side around. But I think West Ham, it, to a certain extent, did create a bit of a blueprint for, for Jorginho. Um, Can he turn around? I think, yeah, oh, he can certainly turn around. He's a fantastic footballer, Jorginho, but what West Ham did, they let him have it. Mm. And that that was really interesting for me. It was, we're going we're gonna to mark everybody else but you, whereas I think the, the solution to Jorginho in the past has been to try and take him out the game. And but and he was allowed. He, he was probably the the performance I've seen from Jorginho with the most mistakes in it like, against West Ham. And he puts a lovely little ball, a lofted ball over the top, and that's it's the, the only ball, it's the only real time... You got to see him be Jorginho, and I think I wonder whether whether Klopp might just bypass him or, or Roberto make him Roberto Firmino's business, you know. So if Chelsea want the ball, well, we'll let Firmino press you, but we'll deal with you individually in a different in a different way than you would usual. Uh, I'm I'm dead interested to see what what team what team Sarri picks because for me they they you know they. They've shown more of themselves than we've shown of ourselves last night. It was interesting that, that Trent and uh, Robertson weren't even on the bench because that is the big the big difference as well as the front three. There was loads of space in be- in behind, and um, that that front three just you know they must have been licking their lips looking at it. Um, and for me, you know, as I say, I think it's a waste of a, a, a player like Kante to, to to have him on the end of chances at the edge of the box. Um, and I'd be more worried if he, you know, picked Kovacic or somebody in, in, instead of Kante. To be honest, I thought Kovacic was really I good. Think, I, I think, think you'll pick them both. I think you'll pick Kovacic and Kante. I think with Sari, the, the team is quite often the team. Sari will quite often sacrifice competitions. I think we've seen that last season with Napoli, yeah. where where the the the, the, the scene, the importance of winning the league. So we just completely abandoned the Champions League. The, the only time he he really made changes, and it was a big a big thing for Napoli to sort of be in the Champions League. And people thought they could have gone far with that side, but just being abandoned it because they all he wanted was the league. And I think I think if if 
Chelsea in six weeks' time are a real player in the league. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Obviously, it's Europa League for them this year, but it, whether the focus is we're going to try and play 38 games with pretty much that 11, that is the blueprint and that's how we win the league. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think I think you're right. I think they will play. I think he will play the team and he'll think. I think he will play the system because that's what he does. But I just think that they might be, I've been thinking it for weeks, that they're in for a, a nasty surprise. I, do, I think we're made, made to play them. Um, I'm not concerned about Mariner particularly. I think he's one of the better referees because I think that does make a difference at Stamford Bridge quite a lot of the time. Has hair. <laughs> Has hair, yeah, and a nice tan. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we're going to whack him. I like that sort of talk. Um, my, 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 I've both managers played the hand, Mel, because I, I feel as though the substitutions maybe tell the story of what we can expect the, the two lineups to be. I don't think there'll be a ton of surprises in there. There's maybe Liverpool have got to pick between pick three from four in central midfield. I expect it to be uh, Wijnaldum, Milner, and, and Henderson. Yeah, I don't think there were. I don't think either manager. If you remove last night from the equation we're going to be in doubt over what the other were going to do because they are two men who steadfastly believe, believe in, in yeah in their way and you know we've seen the players that have performed well for Liverpool thus far this season we've seen conversely who have done that for Chelsea so yeah neither surprise in either lineup like you say it's just midfield where where there's a question mark of of who he goes for, but I think he'll he'll look to go steal at Stamford Bridge rather than any sort of wild card per se. You can have game changes on the bench if you need them, but you don't want to be giving you don't want Chelsea to have the opportunity to set any sort of tone or to get any sort of comfort in the game because we saw last night when you offer them an inch, they will gladly accept it. Um, Giroud can be expected to start. Uh, Hazard uh, obviously expected to start. We've got to have some degree of a plan here. Petro as well if he starts William last night. But he, he hooks William. <coughs> so I think that's your question mark for them. I think your question mark for them is he does William quite early. So I, w- I would normally expect Pedro, but I wonder if because it's us, he'll have the idea of Pedro's more get on the end of things, William's more will come back in and get involved. I'd expect, I think that could go either way is what I'm saying, but I think that's your, your only question mark for them because Juru will start and we'll have to have a plan for both Juru. He scores against us last season. Mm. When Van Dyke was playing, by the way, this isn't like a, oh, yeah. Virgil's going to come in and sort everything one. And obviously Hazard is, is going to be worth worrying about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've said earlier in the show, haven't we, just, just how much we we rate Eden Hazard. Um, Giroud's been really interesting and there's, there were some stats knocking about Hazard with and without Giroud and his width are, are, are a concern for me. And as you said, we, you know, we go to Stamford Bridge towards the end of last season where, we, where I feel like it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a massively important game, but it felt like Liverpool were in a bit of an ascendancy. And you could have, you could have took something from it. And um, we never, Van Dyke was there, and I, I, I'm a we little just had bit worried. Away leg in Rome, haven't we? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about Giroud. I, I, I sort of, I wish, wish they wouldn't have found the relationship between Haz- <clears throat> Hazard and Giroud because there's, there's now that, 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 that guy who's going to be the selfless guy who enables Hazard, and that, that, that's my biggest concern about Chelsea for Hazard, start moving forward. Yeah. Hazard has come out and said he genuinely enjoys playing with him. They've got sort of a, a telepathy. I mean, that doesn't sound too good for Morata. No. But uh, 
it is concerning. But at the same time, I think that would have been one of the, the core things Liverpool would have looked at and thought this has been central to Chelsea doing so well thus far this season. And I think we're in the air where in the past we've had to rely on Van Dijk so heavily last season. Um, I think Gomez has been superb in the air. And Alisson as well. And Alisson is very, very strong and, you know, coming to claim and, and things like that. So I, I don't I don't look at, at what happened at the end of last season and draw conclusions from it because of that. I think also where Alisson puts the line it helps this massively yeah. as well. It means yeah. it means balls over. So noticeable last night that the lines dropped back, you know, mm. to, to where Minile likes it. And I, I, you know, it was I was thinking about Gomez as as Mal just says. I was thinking about Gomez last night as one of the players that you you know he's not on the bench and I'm fine with it. But you know how well he did when he came on against um, against Southampton. Um, am I right? Yeah, you are right. Yeah. My mind went blank then. Um, just ma- made me think that that. I was just looking forward to seeing him come back into the side because he's just been been fantastic. Henderson's my biggest question mark whether whether he goes with Henderson or whether he goes with Alden, Kaiser, Milner. Um, I I I I think he might go Henderson for height. I think, uh, I think with the, the substitutions how they went shows you that he's probably going Henderson as well because Kaita stays on for longer, doesn't he? Look at the ninety. Get the ninety last night. Give me give me a prediction, Paul. I, I, I fancy us, but. Um, but only by by the one. Adam? Earlier talk of whacking. Whacking. Yeah, I know. But then we started talking about Hazard and Giroud and their relationship. So I think maybe it'll be 6-1. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, not really. Um, I, I don't know. 3-1, though. 3-1. Mel? 2-1 uh, Liverpool. Excellent stuff. Uh, I would take a draw, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I would if we draw both, draw. if we draw against Chelsea and City, then we still we stay top. Yeah. It's good, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is the way in which it well apart from goal difference we stay at least level on points with everybody else Uh, that is worth bearing in mind Uh, thank you very much indeed to Paul to Adam and to Mel she'd never be seen on a table really Sports Social Podcast Network